0: right now at Kohl's. Take an extra 25% off top active brands, including Under Armour for her. Get Nike shoes for the family, $48.75 and under, and save on Levi's denim for the family. Plus, get limited contact store drive-up, and get even more for your wallet with Kohl's cash. Shop Kohl's and Kohl's.com. 25% off Under Armour ends August 9th. Nike ends August 8th. Levi's sale ends August 30th. Offers and coupons do not apply. Select styles. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. Hello, wonderful people. I am your host, Sunaina Nair, and I'm delighted to welcome you all once again to our latest conversation on work, life, and well, finding that elusive balance. Meet the effervescent and multi-talented tech wizard, Suresh Kalpati who commenced his journey from the alleys of Delhi, but made Singapore his dream aboard in the early 90s. Having worked with almost all the tech giants in Singapore, from Oracle to IBM to Microsoft, Suresh began his entrepreneurial journey in 2010 and within less than a decade has set up four thriving ventures in the tech automation arena. He's currently president of Rapid E-Suite, specializing in products and solutions for Oracle Applications Lifecycle Management. Suresh is passionate about cricket and is a left arm spinner. He's also been the deputy president of the Singapore Cricket Association, having lent his experience to administer cricket at various levels in Singapore. He's had the good fortune of representing Singapore at two international cricket council meetings in the UK and has also been on several international cricket tours. Suresh is also a golf enthusiast, having played on some of the finest golf courses across the world. And it doesn't end there. His other passion is music. Suresh began singing at the age of three, listening to the radio, which was always on, thanks to his mother trained in Indian classical music. Having received no formal training in singing himself, Suresh derives inspiration from the legendary Indian self-trained artist Kishore Kumar. He's the happiest when he's crooning, and guess what? He sings for us too and not just once but four times. He also loves public speaking and hunts for opportunities to MC events. Phew, how does he manage to do all of this? You'll know soon but what struck a chord with me was Suresh's definition of success. Of seeing people around him happy. And is endeavor to make a difference in the lives of the people around him, so much so I can't help but break into a couple of lines myself from this old Mokesh classic that goes: "Dedicate yourself to someone's smile, borrow if you can, someone's strife, have love for someone in your heart. This is what life means." He sake cut the mills a gate to lay. He see gave us a day with a pia. Okay, folks, let's roll it. Hi, Suresh. Hi.
1: Welcome
0: to Talk Sex Life. Now you grew up in Delhi. Mm-hmm. Uh, would it take us through your formative years
2: in India? Well, it was nice and quiet at that time in Delhi. It was way back in 1974 and uh, my dad got transferred to Delhi. He was part of the government service.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, I walked into Delhi and... Uh, the childhood was pretty simple and straightforward. I would say. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, none of the the and the buzz that you find in Delhi these days. You know, it was a much quieter, saner Delhi. Right. I must say, <laughs> right? So yeah, I mean, very soon um, uh, I was into my teenage, and we moved on to Faridabad uh, for a few years, and then I came back to do my twelfth in Delhi. So I just continued from there, from childhood to school to college.
0: Were there any specific moments that you look at, which perhaps shaped you? Good perspective.
2: Well, I think the long journeys we used to make during the summer vacation of going down south to visit my grandparents and family, right? Yeah. So the, those train journeys, right. typically, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, I mean, it used to take us two days to yes. go from yeah. Delhi to at anywhere in Kerala at that yeah. point yeah. in time, right? Yeah. So I think those train journeys were, were, were quite an experience, mm. you know, both in terms of the kind of people you ended up meeting on the trains. Mm. And by the time it was two, you know, the two days finished, you know, you ended up becoming friends, yeah. and, you know, I mean, playing together and doing stuff like that. Yeah. So I think that also enabled me to see a lot of India, you know, and, and my dad was uh, was quite an avid traveler, mm. I must say, right? So, um, and, and he was basically uh, my mentor and my influencer in my mm. formative years. You know, I used to look up to him quite a bit. Mm. So I think uh, those were some of my very vivid memories of, mm. you know, how life used to, to happen. And then my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, you know, we had a great affinity. Mm.
1: Uh,
2: so he was another person in my life, uh, you know, who... I looked up to mm. you know, from very early childhood. You know, we had a special bond.
0: You moved to Singapore in the early 90s.
2: 92, to be precise.
0: 92. So, yeah. what prompted that kind of shift?
2: Well, there was this 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 whole thing in India about uh, going to the U.S. Typically, so you know, Singapore actually happened as a matter of chance. Mm. <laughs> and I got married pretty early. You know, I was married by the time I was 24 and a half. You know, so it was. Uh, okay. Yeah, typically a child <laughs> marriage you could say. Yeah, but the good thing about that was that you know I mean whatever me and my wife wanted to do, you know we wanted to do it together, mm-hmm. right and and she was pretty keen as well, you know, to uh find ourselves, you know, uh, a new haven sort of. So the quest continued to get to the US and it so happened by chance that an opportunity came across for me in Singapore.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, you know everybody wanted me to take that up for the simple reason that it was you know, close to India and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Landed in Singapore. I was right here on this Anson Road, you know, uh, looking at these very buildings, you know, which were all there at that time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, the idea was to stay here in Singapore for three years and then move on to the US. But then three became five, five became seven, the kids were born.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
2: I think once the kids were born, it was the simplicity and the ease with which, mm. you know, you could live in this country. Mm. You know, I mean, settling down in this country is a no-brainer, mm. right? And the fact that you know it's a, it's a city country essentially, mm. you know, uh, and, and and pretty homogeneous in the way it is uh, mm. built uh, was was something that uh, we were very fond of. And plus, you know, we were, we were staunch Indians, you know, we wanted to have the Indian festivals, we wanted to have the Indian food, we wanted to have the cricket. <laughs> and luckily, they all came about at the same time, right? So it was almost, to me, a, a living in a sophisticated city.
0: So you also chose computer science at a time when I think it was just in its very nascent stages in India.
2: Very much, yeah. How, how
0: did that come about?
2: I should attribute that to my wife. <laughs> okay. My wife, who was at that time my college mate. <laughs> <laughs> so you followed her. I followed her. I mean, we were doing mathematical statistics together. And then, um, you know, there was this new course that came up at Delhi University. And she was pretty keen, you know. So we both wrote the entrance exams. You know, luckily, both of us passed the exam. This
0: was in, no.
2: This was in 1986. Okay, sort of was, I would say, one of the initial... Uh, batches of, of of the master of computer science courses you know mm. that that was happening in delhi i think in retrospect it was probably a great decision
0: i'm sure it is because mm-hmm. you've been in the it sector for close to over two decades now and you
2: also it's almost coming to three decades
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm getting old here <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> worked with some of the top companies in this space, IBM, Microsoft, what you have. Could you just, first of all, take us through that experience of yours working with these MNCs?
2: These MNCs? Well, in Singapore. I came into Singapore with an Indian company, one of the largest Indian IT company, HCL. Right. And, uh, you know, a year and a half into HCL, mm. I landed my, an opportunity at IBM. Mm. Uh, it was a dream come true. For the simple reason that, you know, the IBM office is just down this road, right? And as I was telling you, you know, when I landed in Singapore, I happened to be staying for a couple of weeks at the YMCA, just opposite to IBM. And I used to step out in the morning and look at the IBM towers and and imagine myself being Mm. in that building. So Mm. in 94, when I actually got a job there, you know, it was a real dream, you know, a dream come true. It was, you know, something that Mm. I didn't think it would ever happen in my life. Mm. And it so happened, my wife landed up in IBM as well. Right. So she pretty much has been in the very same organizations that I have been. (laughs) So five five and a half years in IBM, you know, and from IBM moved on to Oracle. And from Oracle moved on to Microsoft. And then I thought there wasn't any other IT company left to work for, so I started on my own. What prompted you to become an
0: entrepreneur?
2: I would say a couple of factors, you know, first one was, you know, there came a time after about, you know, 20 years of corporate life that Mm -hmm. I did not want to be really bothered by a manager above me. I hated the the early morning and the late night conference calls, Mm -hmm. you know, which I necessarily had to do. I had no choice, you know, even if I had to get out of it, I couldn't. So it was rankling in my head, you know, and I kind of told my boss at Microsoft almost a year before I actually quit. And I said, like, look, I'm going to leave the drudgery of this corporate life and Mm -hmm. do something on my own. Mm -hmm. And plus, there was this passion of taking all the knowledge that you had gained in these corporate environments Mm -hmm. and seeing, you know, I mean, how good Suresh as a brand can be Mm -hmm. as opposed to Suresh associated with Oracle or Microsoft or IBM. Mm You know, I mean, it's very easy for anybody to give you a meeting if I Mm -hmm. flash a a card of Microsoft or IBM, you know, but I wanted to see if, if I just flashed a, a Suresh card, mm. if anybody would give me that same respect, mm. right? You know, so I wanted to test that out, you know. And plus there was this whole passion about giving opportunity to other people. You know, I mean, having been in the industry and having done something in the industry for a while, I wanted to give back something to the industry as well. Mm. So all that culminated in, in my first company, which I set up in uh, 2010.
0: You say the first step is usually the most important and...
2: The most difficult. The
0: most difficult. So right. how did you...
2: First, how did that happen? So first and foremost, you know, I mean, there was one part of the family that was into the corporate life. Yeah. So the bills were being taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a bit of a relief initially. Right? So that I was given a, 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 a free reign for 12 months. Like mm-hmm. that, you know, go do what you want to do and let's see how it... you know, what happens. Mm-hmm. Right? So obviously, the early couple of years were a struggle. Mm-hmm. I mean... Um, we used to close a deal one month and there used to be no deals uh, for the next three months. Um, so I had to be cautious in terms of my expenses and, you know, the number of people that I hired because the moment I hire somebody, you know, I'm responsible for their lives and, uh, you know, and they rely on me for that. You know, so yeah, so I would say that the initial formative years were a bit of a struggle. Uh, but then... Things started falling into place, Mm. you know, the opportunities started coming, you know, we expanded beyond Singapore, you know, most of our customers now are in the US, Mm. you know, uh, I did have a partner along with me, you know, Mm. so it was two heads instead of one. So yeah, and uh, once you're into this risk taking habit, I think uh, you're unfazed, you know, yeah, it's addictive. Yeah. And that's why one, one became two, two became four.
0: And four in eight years. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, the good thing is the idea of it, so. I mean, it's...
2: so the good thing is that you know they're all in different stages of development right so, yeah, so. Uh, they all didn't mature at the same time you know so that's good it's Different levels. there are different levels right so obviously this company rapidly e suite you know mm-hmm. it's it's eight and a half years old now it's the oldest company mm-hmm. uh, the other company service dot uh, you know it was set up again with two other people, and that's totally in a different space into the recruitment automation space. You know, That's about eight years old as well. But the, the other two are only about one and a half to two years old, mm. right? So while we got the experience of establishing a company running with it for a while, you know, Mm -hmm. understanding the nuances of how to run it. We thought, you know, we could probably take a bit of a plunge Mm -hmm. and try and try something else as well, you know. So given that all of these companies are in the technology space, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's about, there was one common factor.
1: There's a common thread
2: thread going across technology is one. And plus it's all about automation. Mm -hmm. And it's also about how do I make other people's jobs in other businesses easier and simpler. So that's a fundamental fact that runs across all of our companies. So it's not technology for the sake of technology. And also, as we evolved over the last eight years, you know, there were newer technologies that were emerging. You know, so we did want to take advantage of that as well. Right. So, yeah. So a couple of our companies are are real infant kids at the moment. You know, but that's where the adrenaline kicks in, really. You know, when you have these meetings sitting in the boardroom and, and discussing how this product should be shaping up.
1: Yeah, I like, said, it's a have different have like
2: four, <laughs> four kids. Four kids. <laughs> four kids, you know, two of them are, are, are more than teenagers and the yeah. other two are young <laughs> ones.
0: Very young ones. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's easy to say that uh, there's a common thread and we need to make life simpler. It's more about common sense, but that's so rare these days. You know, how do you get that <laughs> idea and bankable idea? You take that risk and go ahead and, you know, it snowballs into something which you thought...
2: I think when you do it once, you get the courage to do it multiple times. So the the fear of failure is probably only the very first time. So clearly, when I set up the first company, there was a big fear of failure. But then, if you surmounted that, you know, there wasn't really so much of a risk of, of failing again. You know? Even if you failed, you know, I mean, what harm it would do to you? Nothing. I mean, you're always richer for the experience. Well, you would have burnt a few dollars, you know. But then, you know, I always consider. I mean, I have a a very easy attitude towards money, you know, which is it comes and goes.
0: When you made this, you spoke of, a, you know, some out, the tears that come
2: in
0: what, what was it? How did you handle that in the initial days?
2: Well, I think the support of the family counted a lot,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? I mean, my kids were growing up fast and, you know, my son especially would have a lot of conversations with me about, you know, how my businesses were doing and, you know, what was I, was I doing? He- but 2010, he was 15.
0: So yeah.
2: Well enough to well understand enough to be, what was happening. I mean, my daughter was interested, you know, but then she was she was obviously the baby in the family, so you know, uh, she she wouldn't really want to be bothered about the the dark side of the business, mm-hmm. right? So she told me, "Dad, tell me when you get a good deal, you know, <laughs> tell you tell you tell me when you win a deal or something right. like that. Don't tell me when you are short of cash." <laughs> so I think the family support was inspirational. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so when I was kind of down in the dumps and, you know, I mean, uh, I could always talk to the family, you know, and the wife was obviously a source of great inspiration as well because of her continuing presence in the corporate life. You know, I mean, she could give me that perspective. Yeah. And and at no point in time, credit to her, you know, she wanted me to go back to corporate life. She said, you know, look, you are following a passion.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: continue to do that. You know, I mean, we'll get by.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Doesn't matter, right? So I think that egged me on.
0: You're coming to your... Passion. In fact, of course, you founded about four companies. Apart from that, you're uh, in terms of you also lead a very balanced life. Because
2: exactly.
0: you're cricket. I think you also play golf. you you love music, so you even practice music. So I, I guess that's one of the reasons you've been here. I think does that does Singapore allow you that?
2: Well, I think Singapore is is probably one of the best places in the world that allows you the time to mm-hmm. probably. Spend on the passions of your life. Mm. To be very honest with you, having played a lot of cricket during my school and college days in India, at completely shut myself off from cricket when I walked into Singapore. Yeah. Not knowing that, you know, just in three months of arriving here, you know, I heard about a local league, you know, and there were only about 12 teams playing the local league at that time. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you know, wow. given the passion for cricket, you know, I enrolled myself in one of the teams and, and, and here I was playing every other weekend. I mean, what could be better? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you're in a foreign land and right. you're trying to, you know, establish yourself, you know, with your work and things mm-hmm. like that, you know, but your greatest passion in life is available to you over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Right? So that. I think is something that Singapore offered okay. very easily and plus the fact that you know the indianness in this country was also a big factor. Mm. I mean typically we all lead our indian lives in this country to be very honest, mm. right? And and I think the indian culture being very close to the asian culture unlike the western world also gives you that opportunity, mm. right? So I think it was just the right place to be, you know, uh, to rekindle the passion. I never ever imagined that you know would continue to play cricket 25 years after leaving college. <laughs> that's what i've done that (laughs) till today i hope to continue to do that as well when did you start playing cricket by the way i think when i was five or six in the gullies in the gullies yeah typically yeah in the gullies with uh with a with a plastic uh, bat perhaps to start with and then we had these rubber balls you know we never had you know the money to buy these cricket equipment and stuff like that i think for 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 most of my school life i think i never woke Pads or gloves, you right. know. I mean, all we had was a bat and a ball, and, and we used to just pitch wickets. Stumps
1: were
2: those. Stumps were probably, rickety. you know, the bricks, the yeah, bricks the put bricks. together. Yeah. <laughs> the bricks put together. Yeah. Or, or a mark on the wall. Yeah. That's what the stumps used to be. Yeah. I think, yeah, and I got on the wall. Yeah. I, I got my first cricket bat. I think my dad bought me my first cricket bat when I was in grade nine or grade 10. And I had that with me right through my college days. And I think I bought my full-fledged cricket kit once I got to college. And then, of course, the kits became fancier once I moved into Singapore. So today, I I change my kit every two years. (laughs) (laughs) But the biggest thing, I I think the the, the biggest thing to happen to me with respect to cricket was the fact that, you know, my son took up cricket in a very big way. And he, in fact, he emulated his father way well beyond you know what his father did because he, he plays for Singapore. He moved to the UK to study and wanting to play cricket at a very high level. So he plays for a couple of clubs in Singapore. He Cambridge plays for his clubs. university. He plays for the Blackheath Club. Mm-hmm. And he also plays for Cambridge University which is where he studies. Cambridge. So he plays for Cambridge. Right. Yeah. And uh, two months ago, I was listening to a commentary by BBC where my oh, son was actually playing on Lords. Oh, well, that must have been. Yes. Happened. And they were okay. referring to him as Suresh. Oh, you know, Suresh yeah. comes into <laughs> bowl. <beau. Yeah. laughs> <laughs> was beside myself with joy. <laughs> <Like, laughs> so I think I think I think I mean th- that perhaps for me was the greatest gift you know out of all this you know for my son to be able to take up cricket with equal passion in mm-hmm. as I. I think children emulate their
0: parents. And and he must have I would like whatever. to think so. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: the
0: latent
1: potential.
2: He, he he saw his dad lugging his you know kit and, and uh, going to cricket and I think that actually That actually turned my wife and daughter also into cricket fans, you know. I mean, I don't think my wife and daughter were much of a cricket fan before and they had no choice.
0: Now, you've been a member of the Singapore Cricket Club for several decades and you've been playing globally for about two decades. Uh, You've held the office of the Deputy President of the Singapore Cricket Club Association, represented... Singapore at two ICC meetings so <laughs> on. How has your passion for cricket evolved over the years? What has a graph been like?
2: So from playing cricket to administering cricket right. to actually facilitating right. the game mm. for others, others to, play, to play, to provide the kind of facilities, mm. I think that's how it has evolved. So mm. the, the whole intent of joining the cricket association as an office bearer you know being a deputy president of the cricket association you know it was all because of the passion to bring more facilities for the game into singapore take you know this game forward in singapore with respect to its world ranking you know I mean singapore today is ranked 23rd in the world you know uh, unfortunately you don't have fantastic facilities in the country for playing cricket you know but That's we surprising, have surprising
0: gone... right in a sense.
2: It is. I would give credit to the individual players who are playing in the league, right? So despite the lack of facilities, despite the lack of grounds, the players have that passion you know, to do well. From 12 teams in 1992, today there are about 120 teams that play in the local league cricket. And not to speak of the 100-odd teams, you know, that play friendly cricket on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon. There are about only seven grounds in this country, mm-hmm. right? But you, you should see the way the the whole cricketing calendar is drawn up at the beginning of the year. I mean, it's, a, it's an exercise. It's a piece of art, you know, where they ensure that you know every little slot is filled up but i think nature has also been very kind to this country you can literally play cricket 12 months a year there's no other country in the world where you play cricket 12 months a year it literally happens in singapore there is no there's no break i think the the evolution you know um has been inspirational as well and and that's what i'm into now i continue playing what i'm what i'm playing with but i want to be able to give back to the game you know, if I can, in some shape or form, you know. So, you know, uh, we even thought of building an academy here and now, of course, a lot of Mm -hmm. academies have mushroomed. And, of course, the ICC meeting was, uh, you know, the icing on the cake. Again, I had never imagined that I'd be sitting in a room of 102 people, you know, with the ICC president and the chairman sitting on one end of the table and me sitting on the other end.
0: But what are the challenges you think that is not taking Singapore? I think it's not being qualified for the World Cup. It's
2: quite... (laughs) So, as I said, the, the challenge is pretty much at the grassroots level. You know, I mean, it is still considered an expat sport. So, you know, there aren't a lot of the locals who really play cricket here, right? So, it's still considered a sport that's played by expat Indians, expat Australians, Britishers. Has
0: it been rising? Over the-
2: it has been. You know, we have tried to introduce cricket in more schools, you know. So, there was a time that there were about 38 schools that were playing cricket. But unfortunately, that number has diminished now. But that's where the work is needed to be done, right? I mean, if we promote cricket in schools with the local fraternity mm. and if there are local players coming through the ranks, mm. then you see a big future for cricket. And that's when you'll have a continuous supply of good cricketers. Mm. right? Because the expat population will dwindle over a period of time. right? So that's been a challenge. It, it, it continues to be a challenge. Right, you know, I mean, we are doing our best to encourage, you know, a lot of the expats to become citizens and therefore play cricket. So it was great that you know cricket was introduced last year in the Sea Games, you know. So and Singapore ended up winning the gold medal Mm. in the fifty-over cricket. Mm. Right. So so that was a highlight, and maybe that will inspire the government to look at cricket, you know, more closely. It's
0: like a Catch Twenty Two
2: situation. Correct. I mean, success always breeds success, right? I mean, you had a Joseph schooling winning the Olympic gold medal, right? And then suddenly swimming is a huge sport in this country. Exactly. (laughs)
0: I didn't ask you this, are you a batsman, a bowler, the all-rounder?
2: I would like to call myself a bowling all-rounder, you know, primarily a left-arm spinner. Okay. The, the Ravindra Jadeja kinds. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, but I can wheel the willow a fair bit. And, and hit the momentos. six as long it is. Yeah, those are my mementos, you know, yeah. the five-wicket hauls I've had over the last three years.
0: Okay, what is the best and most
2: memorable innings you've played? Well, I've had a a few good innings you know where i've scored briskly scored 50 60 runs but the one that really stands out for me mm. is a little innings of 22 runs that actually helped our club win the local 20 over league and this was almost 13 14 years ago mm. and when i went in to bat and okay. i think i went in when the 8th wicket was down and we still had about 35 runs to score and i scored 22 you know with a oh. with a massive six mm. that actually landed in the neighboring ground <laughs> <laughs> i took my team to victory right mm-hmm. so i think that little innings yeah. of 22 mm-hmm. stands out in a very big way
0: uh, what what about your biggest loss what has that taught
2: you well i think to take things equally take success and failure in stride
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know there was this very simple job of scoring four runs in two overs mm-hmm. and i just spooned a simple return catch back to the bowler mm-hmm. yeah yeah i don't think i could have consoled myself enough that day i was still young at that time you know i mean i think i was still in my early 30s at the time that happened you know but i think now when i walk onto the cricket field you know i kind of take success and failure in equal stride
0: stride.
2: i take it in equal stride so long as i contribute and i play well and i do my best and the team does the same so long as i don't let down my team you know i think that's fair sports teaches you a lot of a lot of things right i think it teaches you to be not Be euphoric, you know, when you win and, you know, and not be delusional about, you know, the kind of achievements that you make. And also to respect your opponents, you know, and also to applaud when an opponent does well. So oftentimes I am a spectator watching somebody else score 100 runs against our team, you know. You just marvel at the guy, the way he's batting.
0: Personally, what have you derived from
2: cricket? I think it has helped me keep my passion alive in whatever I do, really. All right. so, it's, so for me, whatever I do, I, I do it with a passion. You know, with, I, I don't do it for the sake of doing it. Although Gita teaches you to remain detached from anything that you do. All right? you know, but uh, as you know, you know, human beings for human beings, it's very difficult to do that. So I think cricket has taught me a lot of passion. Cricket has taught me a lot of discipline. Mm -hmm. as well right you know I'm I'm, I I would like to consider myself to be a reasonably disciplined person Mm -hmm. in life and I think cricket has contributed in a very big way to that Mm -hmm. you know because there is there is a certain discipline there is a there is a certain method to the whole cricketing madness Mm -hmm. Um, uh, cricket has also taught me to think strategically you know because cricket is probably one game you know where you have to think 20 overs ahead I normally think quite a bit about Mm Like even when I'm with my company, you know, I mean, where I want to take this company in three years' time, you know, I mean, what do I want to do with my product four years hence? Right. So a lot of things are strategic.
0: Have you captained?
2: I captained the Singapore Cricket Club. I captained the oh, yeah. Singapore Indian Association as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I've been a captain. I still captain my my own personal team, which which I formed when I was at Oracle. Now, we call ourselves the vagabonds now.
0: Vagabonds.
2: <laughs> because <laughs> all the ex-Oracle guys have, have left and gone <laughs> elsewhere, you know. How often do you so get hodgepodge. together? We do get together, you know, once a month, typically. One, Even if not on the cricket field, you know, certainly for a for a grub <laughs> and a drink somewhere.
0: <laughs> what are your future aspirations for this game with respect to the, the role that you play? and How do you see it panning? Do, do you have not seen
2: that? Personally, along with a few friends of mine who, who share my passion for the game, you know. I mean, I would love to open up a cricket academy in Singapore. Mm-hmm. It's been a dream, mm-hmm. right? And uh, in fact, we had the blueprint for it a few years ago. Mm-hmm. For some reason, it did not culminate, right. you know, into the actual academy. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's something that I would love to do, mm-hmm. um, so that aspiring kids can walk into our academy. And then, you know, this won't be the normal academy like like anybody else opens. Perhaps, you know, we we are thinking of doing it based on a tennis academy that was opened by Nick Bollettieri in in the US mm. you know which uh, it's considered one of the top academies for tennis <laughs> So we have some something like that in our minds. We're trying to do that, study. borrow that as a case study, and you know, I don't know whether that'll happen or not. But that's certainly something that I would love to do. And then, as an administrator, I would like to get back again. You know, I mean, I kind of took a back seat from the association after being there for a couple of years. You know, to pursue my business interests. But I'm sure in five years' time, I would love to go back,
1: okay.
2: if possible. You know, I've always wanted to be a commentator if okay. I could. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I think cricket administration is a passion. Right. Yeah, I mean, if I can eke out a small little job for myself at the ICC, you know, I would love to do that, yeah.
0: <laughs> you also love to play golf.
2: Yes, I do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, how
2: did... Of course, being here in Singapore, you've got some of the best. Golf courses. Very expensive, though. (laughs) (laughs) So, we just hop over to Malaysia and play there. Oh,
0: oh gosh. Where did you start this whole golf course? It was uh, a friend.
2: It was, was again, one of those things, you know, where collectively a few of us got together to doing something, right? You know, so, again, this was almost two decades ago. Everything seems two decades ago. (laughs) (laughs) Where... we had a, a few of us, you know, got together and we thought, you know, I mean, why not go and take some golf lessons? Mm-hmm. You know, we all play cricket, right. right? And it seems like, it seems easy. And I remember my very first shot in golf, I, I moved my feet mm-hmm. and hit the ball and the ball didn't even go a foot away. And the guy asks me, the, the, the instructor asked me, you know, do you play cricket? I said, yes. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, you don't move your feet in golf. <laughs> you stand stationary. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, how the hell I was going to do that? <laughs> yeah, so I took about took, took up about 10 lessons. Mm-hmm. And uh, every morning, promptly without fail at six forty-five in the morning, you know, a few of us were out in the driving range. On Saturday mornings, you know, we'd be at one of those beginner courses in Singapore playing nine holes. Mm. It sort of became, you know, it, it. It's I would say that it's it's not as strong a passion as cricket. Yeah. But I love being on the golf course and playing a game, you know. So we try to make it like once a month at least, you know. So we have, a, we have several groups, you right. know. I mean, you can't play golf alone, right? You need to get four right. people to play together, yeah. yeah. Enjoy the game. i played in some of the best courses around the world. i played in Hawaii, I've played in Australia, i played in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. i played in some of the classic um, PGA courses in Thailand, uh, in Malaysia.
0: How complicated do you think... Um,
2: all fits? no i don't think it's complicated it's not, it's not complicated it's not, made it's not complicated so long as you can get your <laughs> stance right you know your back swing right and your forward swing right and you can hit the ball it's not complicated <laughs> it's
0: <just weird>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay and now we come to another passion of yours music you've been singing i think uh, the warm is of- professional not professional but she's been trained she's trained in classical
2: she's trained in classical so i think i think Incarnatic it's it's in my genes Carnatic music yeah and so i think it's just in my genes i never got trained formally yeah. but as far as i can recall right. i think i started singing when i was about three years old Are
0: you serious?
2: yeah <laughs> okay. i would just listen to the songs on the radio and just sing i don't think my diction was so good at that time <laughs> no but i think i had a, a year for music right so i could I could listen to the tonality and the, and, the, and the music and I could just reproduce it
1: mm-hmm. somehow. Mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, so I, so from that sense, you know, I derived inspiration from my sort of my guru, you know, Kishore Kumar, you know, whom I'm a huge fan of. Right. right. He never trained in formal singing as well. Right. You know, he was just singing by instinct. He was
0: a genius.
2: He was an absolute genius. Yeah. Right. You know, so, so he just used to listen
0: mm-hmm.
2: and sing. Right, I mean, in fact, his elder brother Ashok Kumar was actually a trained classical singer, who never ended up singing much. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. And Kishore was not. Right, so that was sheer inspiration. So all the songs I used to sing when I was young was Kishore songs. <laughs> You're the
0: Kishore Kumar
2: fan. I am an absolute ardent fan of Kishore.
0: Uh, but how did you you you've been uh, You shared the stage with Suresh Walker, who's a well-known singer.
2: Once, yes. yes. Once,
0: how did that happen?
2: So uh, there was this. Uh, this guy in Singapore, you know, who, um, who actually organizes a lot of shows. Uh, we, was, we were a bunch of local singers, you know, who were singing in the clubs, uh, you know, at the Indian Association, etc. You know, we did that for a few times. And then the guy said, look, I'm thinking of bringing Suresh Wadkar to town. And obviously, Suresh Wadkar can't be singing for three hours together, right? So he needs accompanists along with him. And obviously, we didn't want to give up on an opportunity to be on stage with Suresh Wadkar, right? So this was way back in 2000.
0: It requires a lot of confidence, I think, to share the stage with someone. No, with
2: to me. be able to sing in front to of Suresh, Suresh, Suresh Wadkar. <laughs> and, and you had this this music, you know, musicians of Suresh Wadkar who were actually playing music for you, for you as exactly. well when you sang, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was something which was great as well. You know, I mean, you had to be extremely cautious. I mean, they have been playing for a seasoned singer, mm. and now the same guys are playing for you as well.
0: Did you give you a feedback which one of that you?
2: I think I think he was generally being very polite. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think this, it was lovely, you know, to share this stage with him. How Correct. come you
0: didn't get to learning Carnatic
2: music? I, I, I don't know. Well, you know, growing up in Delhi, perhaps, you know, we never had the That's opportunity. The okay. It's probably the Delhi thing, you know. I mean, the kind of tutelage I had at home, you know, which perhaps. kind of got me to, to continue to sing, right? But, yeah, for some reason, there was no formal training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, for some reason. I mean, for boys, it was not considered... Oh, yeah. you know, really necessary right. to have a formal training in classical singing, for girls, right, for right, the girls, have the which is very unfortunate, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would love to take up classical singing at this juncture of my life, yeah, yeah, but, uh, yeah,
0: unfortunately, at that point, yeah, oh yeah, my daughter, beautiful, she knows to sing, <laughs> she's trained in classical,
2: <laughs> but I, nice. I used to participate a lot in college competitions, you know, college festivals, you know, I used to sing on stage in college, I won a few prizes in college. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a brief period in the 80s, you know, when the guzzles were the big thing, you know, when Pankaj Udhas made guzzles very popular, you know, so I got into guzzles in a big way.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So so I used to sing guzzles on stage and I used to perform at intercollegiate at f- festivals. So that's
0: the way you would have serenaded your wife. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I must say she loved my singing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so right now how have you how have you managed to keep in touch
2: with music? Do you Through singing, right? So so obviously, you know, thanks to Apple and, and Android devices, right? And you can carry your music with you. Right. You know, you sit on a plane, you know, which I do more often, mm. you know, you can just put your headphones and you can mm. sit and listen to music. Uh, Saturday afternoons mm. are typically meant for learning new songs. You know, so I kind of do it very formally. Okay. Right. You know, I kind of pull up the There's lyrics a method to it. There's a method to it. I pull up the lyrics of the song that I actually want to learn, you know, which I love. And then I open up the lyrics and I sit down with my headphones you know quiet in the room for a couple of hours and I practice and I mm. learn the new song mm. right I think I'm able to catch the music very easily you know I hear a song once mm. and I can immediately reproduce the music right. I can catch the music but mm. uh, gone are the days where I could simply listen to a song few mm. times and memorize them you know I have to now formally memorize it you know when I mean, the memory is fading <laughs> but I hate to look at a you know, look at the lyrics on, on paper and sing. Because mm-hmm. I don't then get into the real mood of singing. Mm-hmm. So I always sing out of memory. Mm-hmm. So I have to learn the song first before I what really What do you sing. like listening to? Light. Very light music, you know. Has uh, it evolved over the General movie songs, typically. Mm-hmm. You know, or typical albums by, you know, most of the singers. It doesn't but but, you know, the Hindi, the Bollywood has actually evolved into, into uh, a new era of music. Yeah. You know, I mean, after the, the, the uh, diabolic 80s, I must say, <laughs> where I think music music literally got killed. Yeah. You know, Bollywood has, has resurfaced yeah. into producing one of the best music. Yeah, Rahman. Rahman, Pritam. You know? I mean, I think Pritam is, is, is the newfound Adi Berman, in my opinion. Right. You know, brilliant music. Right. And Rahat Fateh Ali Khan, mm-hmm. Arijit Singh, all these singers. Yeah. So it's, it's generally light music, mm-hmm. you know, anything that's soothing and nice to the ear.
0: Hindi.
2: Hindi. Primarily Hindi. Primarily Hindi. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I do sing Tamil songs as well, you know, but I've not really followed Tamil songs as much right. of late.
0: You do know that we are going to ask you now to sing. It cannot oh be
2: that we are going to get a singer on. Can we shut the door? <laughs> Come on, go ahead.
0: They should know, right? We have a singer
2: on. You have a favorite?
0: <laughs> so I, I can just tell you anything? <laughs> I,
2: if you can and if I can, then maybe yes. Uh,
0: okay, but I am
2: a of fan, Okay. <clears throat> Okay, then let me sing. Let me sing a Mohammed Rafi song then.
1: Okay. Tere mere sapne ab ek rang hai. Oh, jaha bhi le jaaye rahe ham sang hai. Oh, tere mere sapne, ab ek rang hai. Oh, jaha bhele jai rahi, hum sang hai. Wow. <laughs> nice. <laughs>
0: Very
1: good. It's one of my favourite songs. It is? But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Kishorda. Kishorda, yeah, sure. Kishorda. Re mu jhim gi saavan Sulagi sulagi man vege aaj is mausam mein lagi kaisi agan prem jhim gire saawan sulage sulage jaye man vege aaj is mausam mein lagi kaisi agan prem jhim gire saawan <laughs>
0: <laughs> so now you have done it all. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you've got this conference, you recently forayed also into public speaking, you said, emceeing ev- events. So, uh, is there something that you don't want to try? You're just pushing your envelope.
2: (laughs) I think it comes out of my passion for just talking. 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 I'm a pretty extrovert guy. Maybe there was a lot of evidence in the way we have been chatting now. But I typically like to talk. I love Mm -hmm. to talk. Mm -hmm. And I like to talk on a lot of subjects. Mm -hmm. I consciously make an effort to stay true to the languages that I speak in. So when I speak Hindi, I try and not use any other words at all, you know, just stay absolutely into the language. Mm. So I think that sort of has given me a bit more confidence, right? I mean, I always used to speak at events during my... You know, official dumb. You know, um, I was a keen debater in college. So um, at IBM, Oracle, Microsoft, you know, I used to speak a lot at public conferences. You know, about products, about strategy, and stuff like that. So I kind of now have taken that to doing general emceeing. You know, general public speaking. You know, so basically, I'm I'm the guy. You know, who conducts events. You know, so when somebody has a 25th wedding anniversary, for example, you know, in a hotel, you know, so I'm the yeah, one the basically one. emceeing the event. Right. You know, yeah, and I love doing that. You know, and and I kind of. Do it out of pure passion, passion. than anything else. Mm. And I also do it with a fair amount of seriousness mm. in the sense that, you know, I do a bit of a research mm. before I actually walk into the event. Like, so if it's the 25th anniversary of a certain couple, mm. I would have done my homework mm. about them, about their family. I would sit with the people, with the family and everybody else to kind of chalk out the whole evening's yeah, program. Yeah, uh, chalk out the program, yeah. you know, plan what is to be done, when, where and all that and um, it's it's something that I love doing you know. It's
0: one of the biggest fears, I think,
2: public speaking. It's one of the biggest fears that.
0: Yeah.
2: Like, <laughs> <laughs> you can just stand up and talk anyway. So, you never
0: get those butterflies?
2: <laughs> not at all. Not even once? Not, not at if all. There
0: are some professionals, they will be like, okay, we do get it, but we know, you know, once it's like, it starts. It's some,
2: so, let me tell you the secret for that, right? Okay. You know, yeah. and, and this again is a quote from my very favorite actor, Amitabh Bachchan. So, Amitabh Bachchan always believes that, you know, I mean, there are butterflies in your stomach when you're actually walking. Up there, Mm. Right. You know, it's just that they're not very evident. Mm. Right. So you have a way of calming yourself. Mm. Right. And so you actually play this whole thing in your mind Mm. as to what you're going to be saying, how you're going to be saying it well beforehand. So there is a lot of rehearsal that goes on. So when you see some kind of a perfection up on stage, Mm. it is not always spontaneous. You make it look spontaneous, Mm. but there is a fair bit of thought and research that has gone into it. Mm. Right. So when you do that, I think a lot of those butterflies go Mm. away.
0: But what about those moments when it's suddenly you never felt it okay, I'm blind right now? Loss and loss.
2: I think I kind of get over you that. Get over it. I get over it. Very soon it,
0: even
2: if it I always break into a song bridges. when I have to.
0: It <laughs>
2: <laughs> just keeps everybody glued <laughs> for your thinking.
0: <laughs> That's very interesting. How do you
2: perceive this term for as work-life balance? Uh, the ability to switch off and switch on, you know, when you want to, right? That to me is work-life balance, right? I mean, if there is a test match starting at 6 p.m. in the evening,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I switch off work. And I'm in front of the TV watching cricket. (laughs) If there is an AR Rahman event, I'm going for it no matter what. Mm. Right. You know, so I think work-life balance, you know, while everything else that you say about work-life balance is true, right? It's it's the ability to be able to switch on and switch off, depending upon what is important to you at that point in time. Mm. Right. And I always feel that work has to be passionate enough. Mm. But in life, work to me is secondary. Your personal self Mm. and your personal well-being and... And your and your and your house, your family, your home, your friends, your general life. I think is the quality of that is more important. And work supplements it to ensure that you know you have a good life, essentially. Right. So cliched as it may sound, you know, I mean, you don't live to work. You know, you actually work to live. Right. So work has to supplement what you want to do in life, in general. Right. So yes, starting a company is is something that is huge. Right. Uh, But then you're actually driving that startup through the passion, you know, which is what you originally are about, right? So you're not starting a company just because you wanted to make money or just because you wanted to do it because somebody else has done it. You know, Bill Gates has done it or whatever. But you're actually fueling some of your own passion that you have for life into doing that, right? So when you are able to do that, you know, sort of seamlessly merge work and life together, And therefore have the ability to do what you want to do at any point in time, Mm. according to your whims and fancies. That to me is a real balance. And the
0: discipline, I
2: think. Well, discipline is the underpinning of of everything. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it? Right. (laughs) And to be able to choose, I guess. You know, I mean for me it's more like, you know, I mean, choose. At any moment, you know, choose what is the most important thing for you in life, mm. right? I mean, and, and your core values, for example, your, your family, your friends, they come first, as far as I'm concerned, you know, to everything else in life, essentially. Yeah, I mean, if you gain everything else in life and you lose all of these, mm. you know, there's no use of it.
0: The clarity of, I think, what, what is your priority in life? Right. Yeah.
2: How do you perceive success? How do I perceive success? Yeah. Uh when i'm able to see people around me happy Mm. uh when i'm able to actually do something that has made a difference in people's life Mm. right and i don't think i'm I'm saying it for the sake of saying it you know but i love it when when i see people around me happy with what i have done Mm. you know for them or what i've done in general Mm. um and if that happiness pervades through multiple people more people you know whether in the house or at work that to me is success essentially
0: so when you look back at this entire journey of yours, and, you know, so many milestones that you had, some of that which magically just translated, you know, into your life as if you were just dreaming it. It happened. <laughs> so, when you I've been lucky. What, what is one <laughs> thing? What the, what the what's the thing that kind of stands out? What amazes you about yourself, which so far?
2: I think what amazes me is when I was growing up. You know, I don't think I ever thought that I would do all the things that I'm doing today. And that's one thing that always amazes me, you know, how life has its own way of Mm. changing shape as Mm -hmm. you move along. Mm -hmm. And as you move along, to be able to do what you have aspired to do continuously is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, What also amazes me is the fact that, you know, people have been very kind around me, Mm -hmm. I must say, Uh, for whatever I have done, you know, or whatever I live for, Mm -hmm. Right. And that amazes me too, because uh, oftentimes you chase something, you know, you you chase a certain goal or you chase some aspiration. But I don't think I've really chased something. You know, I've just been myself as much as I can, you know, and I've kind of tried to do what what my mind said I should be doing and and what my thoughts were, you know, about doing something. But that has actually brought happiness to people. That has brought happiness to myself. That's something which is amazing to me, right? And, And the kind of support I've had in life from within the family and outside the family, you know, that's amazing as well. Yes. You know, when you hit the pillow at night, you know, and if you can go go to sleep in 60 seconds. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a true blessing.
2: Th- that's a blessing, I would say. Let
0: me conclude every segment with asking uh, this one question. What are you committed to keep alive in you?
2: This passion for making people around you happy. Mm. All right? I mean, I would be the saddest person in the world if... If I am the cause for somebody's sadness.
0: But you can't always, uh, it's not a very controllable variable.
2: Well, at least it's controllable in the sense that if you make a commitment to yourself that, you know, this is one thing that I will live by no matter what, mm. you know, then all other decisions become a lot easier.
1: Right.
2: If I put this as the fundamental objective to life, mm. when I make any kind of a decision in life, mm. then I think that goads you. It's your fundamental principle that you can't change.
0: Great, Well said. Thank you so much for your time, Suresh.
2: Lovely. It was great talking.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So this is not, (laughs) uh, we promise not to get so notorious. (laughs) That's that's big in this, okay. A teacher or mentor, you haven't forgotten.
2: (laughs) So my manager at Oracle, you know, a guy by the name of Dennis Jollock, an American guy. You know, he was an absolute gem of a man. You know, uh, he's probably the best manager I've ever had in my Mm -hmm. career. Right. And I still, Uh, no, not my first one, but... um, He was my manager for almost seven years out of the eight years that I spent at Oracle. Mm -hmm. And I still consider him a a great mentor and a a friend, philosopher and guide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. amazing guy.
0: What did you learn from
2: him? The art of uh, making sure that you always hire people better than yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, so that they can do the work for you, right? Right. You know, never be afraid of hiring people better than yourself, Mm -hmm. right? If you want to be a successful Individual, right. you know, hire the best people. Because I think a lot of people have this issue about hiring people who are better than themselves, mm. right? Because they think that, you know, they might usurp right. themselves. Right. So he had this amazing character. I think he was a great judge of people as well. And he just literally will give you full reign to, to do what and you that's want to also do. also
0: important,
2: I right? mean. Hire important. the
0: smarter guys, but also let them do their work.
2: Let them do their work, Otherwise. right? Do you hire them as smart people, right? You know, let them do what they want yeah. to do, right? Mm-hmm. Just keep a little tab on them. That's right. Don't look over their shoulder all the time. Yeah, sure. He had that amazing quality.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think I flourished a fair bit during those seven years yeah. at Oracle. It's
0: amazing how such people—they influence you and they draw the best out of you.
2: And they also mold you in in a big way, I guess. You know, so when you get an opportunity to be like them, yeah, you know, that inspiration comes yeah. along. Sure.
0: So, what's the oddest thing you've ever done as a child? Ah.
2: Yes. I would find it very difficult <laughs> because I don't think I was a very naughty child. Oh. I was one of those very straight <laughs> child. <laughs> so, <laughs> I would struggle to think of the naughtiest That's thing that a, I did.
0: Very relative to everything.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you see, being being uh, the only child in the family, yeah. right? You know, I mean, you you generally were pardoned for okay. anything and everything that you did there was you know, never essentially, a punishment as such. There was never a punishment as such, right? You know, I was kind of like the apple of my parents' eye. And... <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay.
0: What's
2: your favorite color? Blue.
0: Oh gosh, okay.
2: <laughs> <You're> wearing it. <laughs> I think 50% of my shirts are blue in color. guys. We were
0: interviewed for either blue. One color that represents your personality.
2: I think sky blue oh wow,
0: we've got a variation of blue at least okay.
2: correct Why yeah. sky blue i think uh, I would like to pride myself as a very serene and calm person, and I think the sky blue color brings that out mm-hmm. essentially you know i'm I'm pretty much unfazed by most situations, you know, so I kind of have this i would like to think that I have this serenity about myself, you know which I think is uh, embodied very much by the sky blue generally...
0: color. Attitudinally. You
2: I'm sword? exuberant and extrovert, right? You know, but attitude-wise, you know, how I take things as they come by in life, you know, is, is, is with an absolute calm and cool demeanor. What's
0: your favorite holiday destination? Do you like to travel?
2: New to? Zealand, lovely, yeah, yeah. I, I'd love to travel.
1: Yeah,
2: I think I've traveled a lot of places around the world, you know, but New Zealand is my favorite, right? You
1: go there cool. often.
2: I go there very often. Uh, Both for work and for pleasure Mm. my family loves that place as well, Mm. Uh, especially the southern island, uh, you know, Queenstown, Napier, Mm -hmm. those areas, uh, especially during winter. A
0: memorable (laughs) incident that you would
2: like to share with us. Uh, Memorable. Oh, yeah, um, getting up early in the morning in Hawaii to watch the sunrise uh, and my daughter was, I think, two years old. And my son was four and a half. Mm -hmm. So we literally bundled them out of bed Mm. in their blankets. (laughs) And literally carried them. Walked about a kilometer (laughs) up the crater. To see the sunrise at about 5.15 a.m. in the morning. And, you know, my daughter is serenely sleeping. Right? And after all, the sun is up and everything, you know. And she kind of takes her, puts her head out of the blanket and says, (laughs) Where the hell are we?
0: (laughs) <laughs> did she ball and look? No, all no, she was all
1: inquisitive,
2: you know, looking around. You know, where the hell did you bring me? Yeah. You were know. sunrise or the sunset type of sunrise. Sunrise. Sunrise.
0: Sunrise. Early
2: morning. Early morning.
0: Yeah. What's the one thing that you always carry with you?
2: My wallet. <laughs> Okay. I'm paranoid okay. about it. You yeah. always check about it. I always check about it. <laughs> yes. Two things I check whenever I get up from somewhere, like a restaurant or where, you know, my phone and my wallet. <laughs> yes, the phone and the wallet. What's your
0: favorite
2: machine? My favorite what?
0: Machine.
2: Machine. Yeah. You mm. have to
0: take?
2: Mm. A car, I think.
0: Car?
2: <laughs> I love cars. Okay. love cars. I love the car, the engineering in the car. I love racing cars. Mm-hmm. You know, Singapore, when they have the Grand Prix here, they actually leave the lights on for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. to test them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I love to drive my car <laughs> along the <laughs> Grand Prix route. At <laughs> a fair clip. <laughs> okay. If I can. Yeah, yeah. So Is
0: there a beast you'd like to, that you aspire to add? I mean, will really you purchase or
2: car, I mean? A certain car. Oh, well, I would love a Ashton Martin. Yeah. (laughs) A blue one. Although although you can a blue one for sure. Uh, although I don't think you know you you can really drive it to to its potential in Singapore. (laughs) 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 Eighty kilometers bar. We'll have to take it to
0: New Zealand. We'll
2: have to take it to New Zealand perhaps. Or at least go across the border.
0: (laughs) Okay, if you could only pursue one thing in life,
2: either cricket or music. That's a tough one. Yeah, that's what That's a tough one, right? You know, I think I think cricket will have its nose ahead slightly.
0: Is it because
2: of the response? responsibility? No, I think I think it's it's just about the game, the
0: passion,
2: the passion for the game. You
0: can't remove that cricket,
2: out of cricket. No, no, you can take Suresh out of cricket, but you can't <laughs> take the cricket out of Suresh. So, who's
0: your favorite bats bowler, I should say?
2: Oh well, um, a couple of them, you know, Courtney Walsh of West Indies, you know, was someone you know was very inspirational, and then Kapil Dev, mm-hmm. you know, admired I him. A lot, yeah. Uh, From a batsman standpoint, uh, I think I'm now tending to to say Virat Kohli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it used to be Gavaskar at one point in time, but.
0: Oh, so he's taken over the mantle.
2: He's taken over the mantle. I mean, it's. I think it's just the sheer brilliance, you know. I mean, I've never seen Bradman bat, Mm -hmm. you know, but... Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, so you you see that.
2: Like
0: many of...
2: Yeah, I mean, just the ease with which he he transitions from 20-over cricket to 50-over cricket to test cricket. Yeah, seldom people are able to do that.
0: Even as a captain, I think,
2: you know, I wouldn't say he's a fantastic captain, but uh, <laughs> he's a great <laughs> batsman. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> okay, what is the one cricket match of India that you watched? You you barely know what goes behind mm-hmm. the game and you would have that sense of perception to give that much leeway to the Okay, it's okay. We played. There's always another day. But was it a match where you really felt like getting up <laughs> and punching that I am saying that, just wake up, you know, why why aren't we playing the way you're supposed to play?
2: Uh, Well, I think one of the recent matches uh, against South Africa earlier this year, where we only had to score, I think, 170 runs in the fourth innings, you know, because our bowlers did a phenomenal job of, you know, getting the team out twice. And, you know, all, you know, with, with, with a team that could bat up to number eight... You know, I mean, mm-hmm. all you had to score was 70 runs and we ended up losing that game by 38 runs. Mm-hmm. You know, it was appalling. It was appalling, absolutely. It was been... On the contrary, you know, I mean, on the positive side of things, you know, I mean, 2001, there was this match, which was the NatWest final, mm-hmm. uh, one-day final between India and England, you know, where chasing 321, we had lost half the side for about 170.
1: Yeah.
2: And then Yuvraj Singh and Mohamed Kaif... Mm-hmm. Had this majestic partnership, mm-hmm. you know. And I sat up all night watching it. We finally won the game by one wicket. You know, that was amazing.
0: There's a no sense to it, right? Sometimes we look at it, the way it swings.
2: Oh, it's it's, it, well, it's, it's, it's maddening, you know, sometimes, you know. I think that's the thrill about limited overs cricket. Right. But limited overs have actually influenced test cricket in a very big way. You know, because oh. you almost see results in every test match. When I was growing up, you know, half the mm-hmm. test matches would end in a draw. Right. You would bat for five days mm-hmm. or you bowl for five days and one innings would be complete right, on both right, sides, right. right? I mean, now you almost see tests finishing in three days or four days. Mm. I think it's the influence of limited overs cricket.
1: Right.
2: So it's done a world of good to test cricket, in my opinion. Probably kept test cricket alive. What you know, was dying. 2020? and I don't <laughs> rushing, you know. And, um, there is a, a place for it in cricket, I would mm-hmm. think, because this. There is a certain skill that you need to possess mm. to play Twenty Twenty cricket. But as I said, the influence of Twenty Twenty cricket on Test cricket mm. uh, is is one of the greater good that has happened, you know, you know, uh, to cricket in general
0: mm.
2: as a result of the T Twenty. I
0: would know much. About it. <laughs> 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 Who's your favorite
2: musician? Aadi Barman.
0: Okay,
2: has to be yeah. Um, amazing, amazing
0: gems
2: that amazing, simply amazing. I mean, how he can go from a Dhammaro Dham. Mm on one hand to Tere Bina Zindagi Se Kohi on the other side. It's simply mind-blowing. Without question. Yeah. Her favourite song
0: that always uplifts. Yeah.
2: Tum Bhi Chalo, Hum Bhi Chaleen Chalte Rahe
1: Zindagi. You
0: want to tune that.
1: Tum Bhi Chalo, Hum Bhi Chaleen Chalte Rahe Zindagi. Naazami manzil naas maa Zindagi hai Zindagi Kum bhi chaloo Hum bhi chalain Chalte rahe Zindagi
0: Amazing When are you the happiest?
2: When I'm crooning, actually, yes, you know, you you got that right. You know, when I have my headphones and I'm crooning and I'm listening to my own voice (laughs) and feeling perhaps that, you know, I think there is a tad Kishore Kumar in the way I sing.
0: (laughs) Tell us a couple of lesser known
2: facts about yourself. I have a fetish for shoes, you know. I have about 14 pairs of shoes, yeah. You know, so I walk into a store and if I find a good pair of shoes, you know, I buy that, right. And and I love to keep changing them. Okay. So I have a fetish for shoes. And the other thing that I have a fetish for is I probably own about seven or eight pairs of specs because... I wouldn't like to typically carry my specs around, you know. So I want one in the car, one in my this office, okay. one in the other office, one in the ground floor of the house, one in my bedroom, one in the car. <laughs> you know, it should be readily available to me when I need it.
0: Well, you need to have a 2020
1: wish.
0: To... <laughs> So it's <laughs> worthy, I guess. Okay, now, sing us a song. I, I think I've made you sing so many times, but this is the last one, I promise. <laughs> sing us
2: a song. Kali over this that, one day. Is not bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sing us a song that, repre- uh, that represents your core life philosophy
1: main zindagi ka saath nibhaata chala gaya main zindagi ka saath nibhaata chala gaya har fikr ko dhuein gaya har fikr ko dhuein mein thank you so much it's been so lovely
2: such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you.
0: <laughs>
1: <Thanks. laughs>
0: Now at Kohl's, take an extra 25% off top active brands, including Under Armour for her. Get Nike shoes for the family, $48.75 and under, and save on Levi's denim for the family. Plus, get limited contact store drive-up, and get even more for your wallet with Kohl's cash. Shop Kohl's and Kohl's.com. 25% off Under Armour ends August 9th. Nike ends August 8th. Levi's sale ends August 30th. Offers and coupons do not apply. Select styles. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details.